Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Good morning, church. Thank you so much for being a part of this time together today. And uh, <laughs> we are thankful that as we are starting a new worship series today, we are able to come and be together in this virtual way. <laughs> live, uh, live stream. I'm so thankful that we do continue to do the live stream because it uh, lets you know that we are here. We're continuing to practice that rhythm uh, that of life that we have together, and one day, one day, that rhythm will return. And so I look forward to that day of us regathering. But we continue to follow all safety precautions and measures that we can, because we want to make sure that in the end we are able to all be back together once again. So today we're beginning a new worship series as we are sharing in this time together. We're going to be going through the gospel uh, using the gospel lectionary readings for this month. And so uh, we're trying to see how we might be like Jesus. And this morning's scripture lesson comes to us from the gospel of Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 through 20. So Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 through 20. If you've got your own Bible there at home, I invite you to pull it out. You can pull it up on your phone, your uh, mobile device, whatever you need. It's always something special about hearing the word as it's read, but then also reading it along with it. And it's amazing how is I might be using a different translation than the one that you're looking at or a different version. Perhaps it speaks to you in a different way. And so I invite you to participate in worship in that way. That's one of the ways that we can share together in these kind of times and be one with each other. So hear these words from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Now, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I give thanks for your word, your word that speaks to us and teaches us so much about what our relationship with you and with one another is to look like. And far too many times, Lord, your word is so difficult for us. So help us. Help us to turn. Help us to come alongside your ways. Help us to be the people you've always intended us to be in a right relationship with you and especially in a right relationship with one another. 
So Lord, as we've heard your word, as it has been read, may it now continue to be speaking to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you transform the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into a word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Back in the 1990s, I was, uh, Jennifer and I were living in a community that we began to be a part of the church that we were in that community. And as we first began just attending and ultimately joining the church, soon we began volunteering and serving and helping with the youth group. And as we were just serving and helping with the youth group, we were trying to find ways to connect with our youth and help them take the lessons that we were hoping to give to them on Sunday evenings and make it something that they could actually apply to their lives. Because we understand that a relationship with Jesus Christ goes beyond just what we say. It becomes what we do. And so as we were trying to teach that, ironically enough, there in the 90s, there began this fad that was sweeping all over the world. A fad that began in Holland, Michigan, when a youth pastor read Charles Sheldon's classic novel, In His Steps. In that book, the main character, this fictional book, asks himself the question over and over again because he wants to live like Jesus. He wants to try to be like Jesus. That it would be something more than just words. That it would become an action. And so he asked himself, What would Jesus do? That question is asked over and over through that book in his steps. And this youth pastor in Holland, Michigan, wanted to give that message to her youth. And so she tried to figure out, how could I make that question a part of their daily lives? She came up with the idea of maybe special ordering a bracelet that she could distribute to her youth. But having the words, what would Jesus do, on a bracelet of a teenage arm, it would be difficult to read and it would not be as effective. Ultimately, she resolved to have a special order of bracelets that said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And she distributed them first to all of her youth. She ordered 300 special order to have bracelets made. 300, she distributed them to all their youth. And before she knew it, she was being asked for extra bracelets to distribute to other friends and other people in the community. And so she ultimately had to place another special order to the company that was manufacturing them for her. And another special order. And as the popularity of these bracelets continued to spread, the company that was making them for her realized that this had great potential. And so they began to make them on their own and sell them on their own. And it became a worldwide phenomenon. I mean, really and truly, let's be honest. You can mention it in the chat box or just send me a note and and tell me. How many of you had at least one of these WWJD bracelets? I had youth in my youth group at that time that had probably 12 or 15 in all different colors. It probably went just about from their wrist to their elbow. And every day they were supposed to be asking themselves, what would Jesus do? Now, the, the catch here 
is it's very difficult to know what Jesus would do if you don't know what Jesus said and if you don't know what Jesus actually did. And so, when we get to the heart of the matter, we've got to know W-D-J-S, what did Jesus say? And then W-D-J-D, what did Jesus do? That was the lesson that we were trying to impart to our youth. That was the lesson that the youth director was trying to impart to her youth. But it's a lesson that all of us should be asking. What would Jesus do? How can I be like Jesus? Let it be more than just the words that we say, but become the actions that we do. And so we are taking a look at what Jesus said. We're taking a look at what Jesus did as we go through this month of September, trying to more and more be like Jesus. So when we get to the heart of the matter, this passage of Scripture that we're reading today, it's a difficult passage. I, I'll be transparent and completely honest. It's a passage that if Adam had his way, I might either simply remove this passage or alter it a little bit different from what it is. But don't worry, I'm not going to commit heresy today and do that. We're going to take a look at it as it's actually written and try to see what did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? And how can we apply that to our lives so that we might be like Jesus? In the passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus is addressing how to handle and address conflict. If a brother or sister sins against you is how he begins. Now, let's be honest. How many of us have said to a neighbor, a brother, a sister, a spouse in the past week, you have sinned against me? I doubt that you've pulled up to a stoplight and rolled down your window and said to the person that just cut you off a few moments ago, hey, buddy, you sinned against me. No, we don't really use that kind of language. And I don't want to get caught up in missing what Jesus is really getting at here. When he says that if a brother or sister has sinned against you, if somebody has done something that has caused a separation, that has caused a harm, I like the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases it in the message when he says, if a fellow believer hurts you. That's what Jesus is getting at. If somebody does something that hurts you, that harms you, that wrongs you, if somebody does something that creates this separation, what do you do? <laughs> well... If this was what would Adam do, what I would want to do is confront that individual and argue it out with them until they acknowledge that I'm right, they were wrong, and they walk away sulking in shame and defeat. Frankly, that's what I would like to do, but I don't. I really don't. In reality, what happens most of the time when someone wrongs us, when someone hurts us, when someone harms us, when someone offends us, when someone's actions create this separation, what typically happens? It's as if a wall has been built up between us, separating us from the one that has harmed us, separating us from the one that has sinned against us. 
You know what, in my mind, it's kind of hokey, but I even have a word for it, a phrase for it. I call it the wall of wrong. When somebody has done something wrong to me, it's as if between us there is a wall that has been built. A wall of wrong. Now, what typically happens is when someone hurts us, when someone harms us, when someone wrongs us, when someone sins against us, that wall of wrong is built up between us and the offender. And what happens is we will sit on our side of the wall and wait patiently or impatiently for that other person to come across that wall, to come over that wall and come to us and confess that they have wronged us, confess that they have sinned against us. Confess that they have hurt us and ask for forgiveness. (laughs) Too many times that's what happens. We sit on our side of the wall and we wait for them to come to us. And we allow that wall of wrong to exist, separating from us, from us from them. You know, in today's culture, we actually have another language for this kind of wall of wrong. You know what happens? We will block someone. We will mute them silencing their voice. We will unfollow them, or even worse, we'll unfriend them on social media and, frankly, in real life. We cancel them out of our lives. When a wall of wrong is built, we sit on our side and that wall will not be torn down until that other person comes to us and they confess and acknowledge that they have wronged us. Until that time comes, that wall stands. And the thing is, in this day and time, if people actually do come to us while we're sitting there waiting patiently or impatiently for them to come to us, if they do come to us and say, you know what, I was wrong. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have harmed you. I shouldn't have offended. I shouldn't have done whatever it is that I did against you. If they come and they say that, you know what happens? We may tear down part of the wall, but we keep part of it there. Trust has been broken. We're not ready to tear it all the way down just yet. So to sum up WWD, what we do, too many times when someone sins, hurts, wrongs us, we're just separated from them. That other person is on the other side of the chasm. And we wait for them to cross over. We wait for them to come to us. See, That's where trying to be like Jesus becomes so difficult. Because what Jesus said and what Jesus did so many times is so different than the way that we try to live out our faith. What did Jesus say when someone sins, wrongs, or hurts you? What did Jesus say that we would do? He said, well, he didn't use this language, but in my mind, he said that we would cross the wall of wrong. We would go to them. We would tell them how we have been hurt, how we have been wronged, how we have been sinned against. We would go to them. And if they listen, and if they acknowledge, then that wall is torn down, and we are reconciled once again. But Jesus then said, if they don't listen then you've got to go and you've got to find one or two other people to come alongside you, to come over that wall once again, to go to them and to tell them and allow them to give witness, to testify to the reality of the hurt, of the wrong, of the sin. And if they listen, then the wall is torn down 
and you have reconciled. And once again, you are restored to that brother or sister. But even then, if they will not listen, if they refuse, you've got to then go before all the church over that wall to go. And in the presence of the church, go over that wall of wrong and to tell them once again. And if they listen, ha, you have been reconciled. You've been restored. See, it's not just waiting for them to come to you. No, Jesus didn't say When someone has sinned against you, sit on your side and wait till they come to you. No, Jesus said, you have got to go to them. Not just once. Not just twice. But three times. You must go to them. And to acknowledge the reality of the hurt that has been caused within you. To acknowledge that and to tell that to the other person. (laughs) Man, that's so hard so hard. We don't want to. We don't even want to go the first time when it's just one of us. We don't want to go and take two others. We just want to wait until they come to us. We certainly don't want to take the whole matter before another group of believers. And Jesus said, even when you take it before the whole other church, even then, only then, can the wall stay and you can treat them as a pagan or Gentile or a tax collector. You know what? Even that isn't the end of it. Because Jesus himself loved the Gentiles. And Jesus certainly loved the tax collectors. Let's think just for a minute. Why would Jesus say that even then, only then, after that third time, if they still don't listen, that you could treat them as the tax collectors? But see, see, we want to say, you know what? I went to them once, I told them, they didn't listen. I went to them another time, took two people with me, they didn't listen. I took it before the whole church and they didn't listen. They have wronged me and now I'm done. That's not, not, not what Jesus said. And that's certainly not what Jesus did. So if we want to be like Jesus, let's take a look at what Jesus did and how Jesus dealt with the tax collector. Now, tax collectors during that day and time, they were not thought of very positively. Historically, tax collectors were generally not referred to in a positive way. And in the Greco-Roman world, a tax or a toll collector, they collected tariffs off of goods, a variety of goods that were transported into various territories. And Jews, in particular, despised tax collectors because what would happen is the Roman Empire would employ one of the Jews who would then tax, collect the taxes of their own, of one another. And many times it would be corrupt and they would profit. Not only would they profit, they were also selling out their own people, all for the benefit of the Roman Empire and for their own good. And so uh, Jews were always just despising the tax collectors, and they were looked down upon so much because it was like they were turning their back on their own people. And we see how tax collectors were thought of in the Sermon on the Mount earlier in Matthew Matthew's gospel, Jesus gives this most famous sermon. And at one particular part in the sermon, Jesus is speaking about how we are not just called to love our neighbors, but we're also called to love our enemies. That's a challenging word. 
And he says in this gospel, he says that if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Jesus sees and he acknowledges the wrongs of the tax collectors. Jesus sees and acknowledges the ways that the tax collectors have sinned against their people collectively and personally. Jesus calls it out. He acknowledges the reality of the ways that they have wronged their people and they have wronged individuals. They have done that. But then in Matthew chapter 9, we have this encounter with a tax collector. It says that Jesus is walking along with his disciples and he sees a man sitting in the tax collector's booth. And that man's name is Matthew, a name that literally means gift of God. Jesus sees this tax collector in the active process of collecting taxes and tolls and tariffs. He knows that he is actively engaged in wrong. He is actively engaged in wronging his people. You know what Jesus says to him? Jesus simply says to Matthew, follow me. Now, I'll admit, in every translation, it comes out there, follow me. Those words, follow me. But I think that's a little bit simplistic. I think if we just think that Jesus is saying to this tax collector to follow me, that we might miss a little bit more of the depth of what Jesus was calling Matthew to. Akulatheo is what Jesus says to him. Akulatheo. Now the prefix, ah, simply means a likeness or a union, or, or it expresses a witness. And then kulutheo refers to a road, a way, or a path. When Jesus says to Matthew, the tax collector, akulutheo, Jesus is saying, turn your ways. Come with me. Come on the road, come on the way that I am going. Come with me. Leave the old ways behind. Come with me. See, this is Jesus crossing that wall of wrong. Jesus didn't just wait for Matthew to suddenly come to him and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I have sinned against my people and against you. Jesus didn't wait for that to happen. Jesus crossed the wall of wrong and went to him. And he said, Akulatheo, come with me on a new way. Come with me. So you know what Matthew did, right? Matthew gets up and he follows him. Matthew literally gets up from his tax collecting booth and he leaves it behind. He turns he changes direction. He repents and he follows Jesus. He goes along with him in a new way, in a new path. And then in the very next chapter, in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus is getting ready, he's sending out some of those closest to him. He's sending them out to do amazing things. I mean, this is just one chapter removed from this man leaving his old ways behind. And this man has left his old ways behind to go on the same path and the same ways with Jesus, reconciled and restored. And now, you know what Jesus is doing? He's sending them out. 
He's sending him out to help heal the sick of all sorts of diseases and to cast out spirits. And here in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus names the ones that are being, or Matthew, the gospel writer, names the ones that he is sending out. And it says, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, and James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who Jesus, who betrayed Jesus. Just moments before, this man had been wronging Jesus. Just a few moments before, he was continuing to live in his life in the way that he knew it. And there was a wall of separation built up between Matthew and any Jew. But there was also that wall of separation, that wall of wrong that had been built up for the way that he had even wronged Jesus. Jesus was not content with that wall of wrong being there. Jesus was not content with that separation. So Jesus crossed that wall. And Jesus tore it down. He told him to come with me. Leave the old behind. Change your ways. Let us be reconciled. See, it's not about winning or shaming somebody into their, how wrong they are or how wrong they've been. It's about reconciliation and restoration. My God is a God of reconciliation and restoration. It's about bringing us together once again as the true people that show the world what it means to demonstrate authentic love to one another. And I'm sorry, but if our ways are not about being reconciled to those who have wronged us, if we're not going to be intentional and go to them in love with the intent of reconciliation, then we are not doing what Jesus did. We're not being like Jesus. See, Jesus is calling us to, to humble ourselves, to go into their presence, and in love and in care, and with the intent only of reconciliation and restoration do we cross that wall of wrong. (laughs) It's so hard. (laughs) It's so hard. But if we want to do what Jesus did, if we want to ask ourselves that question, WWJD, we see it. Jesus not only said that we go to them with the intent of reconciliation and hope, but we then Extend that forgiveness. That's the life God is calling us to. And if we want to be like Jesus, it may be hard, but it's what we've got to do. Lord, help us to be like Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, when you come into our lives... We are called into a life of transformation. When you come into our lives, we are called to leave the old ways behind and to go on that new path. Lord, may we hear you say to us, follow me. May we leave our old ways behind. May we be reconciled to you. But in that reconciliation, Lord, may we find ourselves Seeking out those between whom there is a wall of wrong. 
May we climb over that wall. May we take that step. May we go to them with the intent and purpose of reconciliation. Demonstrate how we too want to be like Jesus. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.